Welcome to the International Podcast. Conversations that matter from around the world. From politics, entertainment, culture, the arts, lifestyle, and more. The International brings you various perspectives from key voices. And now, over to the host of the International, G. Van Robinson. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the International Podcast. I am your host, G. Van Robinson. Today, I am going to be speaking about the global healthcare industry and particularly technology investment and how that will transform the global healthcare industry. I am pleased to have with me on the International today, Paul Stannard. And Paul is a general partner at the Vector Innovation Fund. He'll tell us more about that just in a moment. But also the World Nano Foundation. Uh, they are a facilitator for the discussion we'll be having today. And in case you haven't heard of the World Nano Foundation, they're a non-profit membership organization with over 75,000 subscribers and users in 40 countries. And they're working on international commercialization of nanoscale technologies in 16 industry sectors and collaborate with a wide variety of partners. Good day to you, Paul. How are you doing? Very good. Nice to speak to you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the International with us today. Paul, tell us about the Vector Innovation Fund, please. Yeah, so the Vector Innovation Fund um, um, was set up with, um, um, the, uh, with, with our general partners in, um, in Luxembourg as a global fund for um, future technologies, so advanced technologies. And uh, we have a number of uh, uh, subsets underneath Vector that are linked to certain uh, sectors. So one is for pandemic protection and preparedness. We have another fund uh, underneath Vector Innovation Fund that is for enabling technologies that, that help create a more sustainable um, uh, future. And then we have a future healthcare fund um, that deals with wider healthcare technologies. So the Vector Innovation Fund, you recently launched a sub-fund, a sub-fund, sorry, raising an initial 300 million for future healthcare, Paul. Now, before you talk to us about that, you stated something that over 50% of the world's healthcare budgets go on putting a sticky plaster on people's health, but most of it is spent on the last six weeks of our lives, essentially end of life care. I wouldn't read the entire quote, but I'd like you to talk around that, especially now with healthcare being the buzz conversation with the global pandemic that we're currently experiencing. Yeah, sure. I mean, healthcare um, provision basically has always been built on the premise of of um, um, dealing with the problem that's here and now, that hence the sticky plaster um, uh, point in my quote that, mm. I, that I gave out recently. So it, it, it doesn't deal with prevention. Most of the developed world's healthcare systems were built on a model that's 70, 80 years old. And the developed world can't afford the healthcare systems they've got. They're very centralized. They're very, um, uh, burdened uh, because they deal predict predictably dealing with 
challenges as they happen. Um, and, and, and obviously some of the major challenges that we have tend to be at the end of our life. So uh, it's, a, it's a very perverse logic. Right. And you, you, say, you stated that you've been tracking advanced technologies for five years and seeing the huge potential for upsides for the global health industry. Now, with regard to the entire conversation about technology investment, being able to transform the global healthcare industry away from illness services. Many people listening and are very concerned, especially about the way the developed world, particularly the healthcare systems have been under strain because of COVID-19, much more so. Could you imagine what is happening in the developed world? So in terms of your premise of technology investment, how would that change things, Paul? Because it would, it would take it to the point of care. So we, we, we move to a preventative uh, model for healthcare. So preventative medicines, early intervention technologies that, that highlight um, um, early warning systems, um, whether that's um, in, in, in our genealogy or whether it's in, um, um, you know, us picking up viruses and pathogens. Um, the earlier that you can detect, the better outcomes you have. And if you can do that at the point of care, we know putting people in hospitals is not the best thing for them. The, they get the best recovery from being at home. So if you can if you can invest in technologies that can highlight a challenge way before it's gone to a stage where you really have to put really invasive uh, healthcare solutions, um, or maybe even beyond that, um, then obviously it's got to be better in terms of longevity of life for everybody um, and also it's more affordable because if you have less burden on the state in terms of your over bloated centralized model and it's more preventative you actually get better education better learning and then people make better decisions whether that's the people themselves or working with their their healthcare providers we do know paul that the world today is technologically driven Using the term technology, some people listening who may be scared by the word technology, could you break it down a little for us? When you say technologies, using technologies, could you give us a, a definition or examples of what you're speaking by way of apps or different types of medical technologies, for instance? Yeah, okay. I'll give you a couple, couple of examples. So uh, one particular technology, um, um, the asthma cough that mm -hmm. many older people and children have, vulnerable children, uh, before they're about to have an asthma attack, there is a unique cough. It's almost like a fingerprint, right? right. Um, and when we have that unique cough, within 20 to 30 minutes after that cough, um, um, you have an attack. So if somebody had a technology that could basically, through a monitoring, you know, a wearable device, all of those people in the world, young or old, that suffer from asthma, um, um, basically had a wearable that detected that, that fingerprint cough at that point in time, 20 minutes beforehand, it can send an early alert to their family and friends, their care workers or their, or their um, uh, medical uh, examiner. So mm -hmm. that therefore they can be they can have something to stop that happen, to mitigate that problem. Um, 
Um, and we've seen it with with the pandemic. You know, yes. we've got all sorts of arguments going around about testing and vaccines and all the rest of it. But using nanotechnologies or nanomedicines um, um, and nanotest, nano-based testing, you can be much more sensitive, and it can be done. It can be it can be part of something's every everyday life. So it won't be very long before, you know, we wear Fitbits to to examine our heart rate and all the rest of them when we're running. Why wouldn't we do the same to alert us to? A virus or to um, the early stages of a uh, cancer within our bodies. If we can do this using um, highly sensitive um, um, technology that, that basically works with the the the, the, the person and the uh, health providers, then you're going to get much better outcomes, and it's a lot less costly to do that. Then spend hundred thousand pounds a year trying to, to to basically mitigate their illness once it's got advanced. From the conversation that we're having here today, Paul, uh, preventative health and especially in your response just now seems to be the theme that is coming out. Now there have been some conversations which I know you're aware of being involved in the industry of big pharma as they're called, controlling things within the global healthcare industry and in that they're not really concerned about curing, but just about managing so that recurring revenues can come in. In terms of what you're advocating today, how do you see big pharma possibly responding to this? Is there an opportunity for them to be involved in this or this is going outside of their scope and realm? Well, the reality of it, they're like, it's a bit like the media owners before Facebook and Google and everyone. That they're old tankers that basically move very slow. And drug delivery, you know, takes 10 years on average um, to get one clinical um, drug, maybe out of a billion dollar investment. So it's it's slightly counterintuitive to those pharma companies to risk, especially when um, things are, you know, like uh, pathogens are mutating much faster and changing their direction. That, that means that it's very risky for shareholders in those pharma companies to go and invest um, in, an, in, in those new drug deliveries. Mm -hmm. Whereas what we're seeing with nanomedicines and AI, when you combine those two things together, we're gonna see a whole raft, or we're seeing a whole raft of new, um, new entrants to the market that are not necessarily gonna be led by big pharma, that they're gonna come um, they're going to be the next Google or the next Facebook, but in the healthcare space. Um, and it's going to be much more um, uh, affordable to do drug delivery. Um, and we'll be able to get many different applications because of the sensitivity of these new technologies. Um, now, obviously, pharma may end up at some, at some point down this route because they're cash heavy, uh, buying up some of these speedboats. But, but ultimately, the, the, the whole of the healthcare um, market is going to get much more democratised. So uh, healthcare will be in everybody's hands, not in just the few that can afford it. <laughs> a bit of a cheeky question just came to my mind, Paul, as we're talking about e-health and the advancement of such. Do you see the proliferation of e-health? Um, how should I phrase this? Uh, 
somewhat negating this over reliance on on visiting doctors all the time so to speak bit of a cheeky question really <laughs> well i mean we, you know i think the 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 general practitioners um um uh, the bodies that support those uh, fought the the idea of not having one-to-ones for nearly 10 years and then in the space of a few weeks the dam completely burst didn't it during covid and mm -hmm. now we're, we've gone from you know the sublime to the, the ridiculous so now now it's almost impossible to see a, a doctor uh, unless you can get through the gatekeeper that is the reception um i think there's got to be a balance and again technology holds the key to that because telemedicine and video conferencing but also if people are able to have devices that are at hand at home on their phone or in, in a little device they'll be able to get far more information to their medical pr practitioner by actually putting their finger into a you know a, a small device that actually monitors their their heart their health their genomics their you know um all of these things in a multiplex um, health environment that's going to be better for the for the health providers and for the public wonderful folks you're listening to the international and we are speaking today about technology investment in the global healthcare sector with paul stannard and paul is a general partner at the vector innovation fund they recently launched a sub fund raising an initial $300 million for future healthcare. Paul, World Nano Foundation Chairman Paul Sheedy, he said that investment into healthcare and nanomedicines has to be accelerated as we cannot afford the hugely inefficient centralized healthcare systems that we have. And you have been advocating that throughout our conversation also. He further stated that we have to move to a point of care model that supports early intervention and protection. Now, for the purposes of our conversation today, I, I really want everyone to understand what we're saying because healthcare is such a very important thing in everyday lives and communities, and also too for economies to thrive, they need to be healthy, healthy, sorry, populations. We've been using the term continually throughout our talk, Paul, of nanomedicines. And some folks are probably thinking, what the heck are you talking about? Could you just break down kindly nanomedicines and what you mean by that? Yeah. So basically, nanotechnology is just a measure of science. So it's nothing to be frightened of. It, it, it's just a, like people gave names to the internet, you know, and digital marketing and crypto and all the rest of it. Nano became a phrase about future technology. But basically what it means is it's a measurement. So prior to them finding nano, nanoscale technologies, they could only go to a micron, which is, was a measurement of science. Mm -hmm. Now they can go to a nanometer, which is, you know, a hundred thousand times smaller, um, uh, which gives you unique insights into what can be achieved. So it changes the what 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 you can achieve, not just in medicine, not just in healthcare, but also um, in energy and uh, food resources and many other th the major challenges. That the world faces. So when we talk about nanomedicines, we're talking about um, our stomach is a furnace, right? So if we take an aspirin, mm -hmm. um, we take it in a pill form, and we can only take so much of it because we have to take enough of it 
for the stomach to be able to digest enough of it to hopefully some of the good in it to go where it needs to go. Right. Um, but we can't take too much of it because it will then start distributing things to the heart, like ibuprofen um, is not good for the heart, hence you can't have it too much. With nanomedicines, it's so small, you can encapsulate them in a tiny nanoparticle, put a homing device on that nanoparticle, and it can take that unique ingredient without any of the subset negativity directly bypassing the stomach and going directly to where it needs to do good. So if I, if I use an example, there's, there's a company in the UK, a nanotechnology company uh, mm -hmm. out of Cambridge, who basically one of the biggest healthcare challenges of the world is actually um, 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 neuroscience. So things that affect the brain. So like Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's and things like that. Um, right. And because the blood brain barrier, which is a bit of a holy grail uh, for the biotech industry, it's very difficult to pass the blood brain barrier without causing significant problems to the brain because the brain, like the heart, has a huge amount of antibodies there to protect it. So when we get MS, um, um, the body starts to see all the good and the bad in equal measure. It sees everything as a terrorist, so it attacks everything, hence why a lot of our extremities from MS are affected because all of those antibodies are in attack mode because they think something is about to damage um, that, that, that person. Um, so with nanomedicines, it's so small um, that it, it, it doesn't alert those antibodies. So it enters the blood brain barrier. So taking the example of um, um, the degenerative diseases that challenge, um, mm -hmm. Alzheimer's and MS, basically the wires in, in our brains um, are known as the myelin. And basically they, they, they basically start to fur and then that's how, you know, this is the simplistic uh, explanation of, of how it works. And they start to, to break down. What, what this particular company, Nanomedicine has done, they've been able to pass the blood brain barrier without making all of the uh, red blood cells go into attack mode. Uh, using a natural protein. So we're not putting anything synthetic into the body. It's basically a piece of nature and you're allowing that piece of nature to pass the blood brain barrier inside a tiny nanoparticle, 100,000 times smaller than the human hair, mm -hmm. um, uh, made of soluble stitch. So it doesn't actually cause you any damage, already approved and attaches itself to the myelin and releasing this natural uh, protein um, um, and basically, they've seen in animal trials that basically uh, animals with um, uh, uh, been injected with human MS are riddled and could hardly move within a couple of days of walking around and like, you know, newborn mice. Um, and th that particular company is now moving towards human trials. Now, that's that's a whole sector that for the next 20 years, you know, we're going to be dealing with. If we don't have solutions like that, where basically end of life, you're just managing them through dementia, through MS, through Alzheimer's. If you can, through nanomedicine, can actually reverse those, those trends, that's, that changes healthcare 
uh, it changes care generally um, and all the other impositions that uh, those uh, deliberating diseases cause. Brilliant share that was, Paul, and it's really wonderful to hear, as you so aptly explained, about the solution that nanotechnology provides for many of the ailments uh, that afflict humanity in terms of healthcare, healthcare provision, and a better standard of living, really. You know, Paul, we've seen various phases of, let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. We've seen various phases of COVID, different waves, as, as, as they call it. In terms of our conversation today, uh, technology, healthcare technology, and particularly, I'm very intrigued by what you said there about nanotechnologies. How do you see that uh, aiding the fight against COVID-19? Well, all of the, at the moment, the, we, we use PCR, most people because of the media and the last year and a half, have learned a lot about testing and some of it they've, they've learned from you know, um, the media and the media learning, don't forget, as, as quickly as we all are, because this is a whole new ball game. Uh, mm -hmm. But PCR testing, the lab based testing, the gold standard for testing in the world. But the, the unfortunate thing about it, it, it needs big, big infrastructure, big buildings to have big equipment with major delays. And if something is 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 going as fast as COVID or Ebola or Zika virus or any of these pathogens, um, um, you need to be able to do something that's rapid at the point of care because it's got to be available to everybody so you can find the natural incidence of it in the population so you can start to act accordingly. So a lot of these new rapid tests have mm -hmm. evolved enormously over the last 18 months, two years, and they're going to and they're they're gonna they're gonna get even more sensitive. So they use nanocolloidal gold to actually sensitize whether that you know it's 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 this strain or that strain. And we will get to a situation where eventually, the, like the pregnancy type test kits that we've seen in testing with um, uh, COVID nineteen, mm -hmm. you are going to see really highly sensitive assays that basically hold. Um, um, you know, a tiny piece of uh, uh, data, and it can actually tell a whole range of things rather than misdiagnose that actually you've got the common cold. It'll be able to tell you whether you've got a flu variant over a, a, a be able to tell you the different strains of um, of coronavirus. Um, you, you, you with me? And we we yes. will have far better outcomes. Um, but all of this is is has been going on for ten years. It's just had to evolve in front of everybody uh, over the last 18 months. Um, so it's caused a lot of um, lot of debate about testing. But testing is the answer uh, at the point of care for almost anything. Uh, and nanotechnology allows us to do that. Wonderful. Well, the Vector Innovation Fund, you focus on healthcare technology and other enabling technologies, as you so described, that support sustainable outcomes. We've seen a, or we see, continue to see, I should say, a disparity in healthcare delivery between the developed and the developing world, particularly with COVID-19. I was listening to a program the other day and one of the African countries, they were lamenting the lack of vaccine and vaccine delivery uh, that they have been receiving. And I see some developed nations have decided to donate 
vaccines to some of the countries of the developing world that are struggling with the COVID-19 vaccine delivered to their people. In terms of bridging the gap uh, of the disparity that I so mentioned, the technology that we're talking about here, do you see this as a mechanism to bridge this gap, so to speak? Definitely, because these technologies do not require the big infrastructure and laboratories, it means the developed world can adopt because it hasn't got to go and build the infrastructure that the UK or US or, or Asia have built. Um, because if we can deal with it at the point of care with very complex but simple technology, uh, easy to use, um, that then links that to the cloud that has no barriers in terms of boundaries, um, then we do have the opportunity to not only um, make it more available to everybody, but we can also make it much more affordable and sustainable. Thank you so much. And Paul, let me ask you about uh, take up in terms of buy-in, so to speak, from uh, global healthcare providers by, by way of uh, policymakers, I should be more specific. How has that been going? Well, we, 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 my, my business partner um, is Kojo Anan, uh, who's uh, a son of the, uh, the late Kojo Anan, um, who's spoken quite a lot about the, the whole vaccine fairness thing in the last few months. And, you know, we, we actually think we're, we're part of a group, uh, the uh, UN group to do with healthcare technologies and many of the major development banks um, and some of the other funds are now sort of collaborating um, because we're, we're stronger by the sum of our parts rather than the, the old VC model of, you know, put a ring fence around everything, you know? Right. These challenges need lots of people to come together uh, to, to, uh, to make a big change using, you know, using this philosophy. Thank you so much, Paul. And Paul, before we go, now you've raised the 300 million. What is the next move? Well, once we've raised the next 300 million, you know, we, we intend to invest in about a dozen companies because each of these companies need to have, um, you know, they, they, they're all going to have potentially a global impact. So you can't, they can't go at their market or their solution with you know a few million dollars to get going, you've got to give them the money uh, 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 and the roadmap to actually go and make a difference. So we'll be investing about, across about a dozen companies, um, and between three to seven years, we'll we'll move from sort of the um, you know move from the implementation stage to to the exit and delivery stage. Um, but ultimately, at the same time, we're going to be launching other funds linked to enabling technologies that impact sort of future um, things like energy. So future energy. So nanotechnology has the ability to um, um, create new solar farms that maybe could from one solar farm using um, uh, photovoltaic fiber um, to, to literally transform and or tr transfer energy, huge amounts of electricity around the world via fiber, which you can't do at the moment, but we're only a few years away from that. That's the next stage of where we're going. And also things like future food production, which is all interlinked to biodiversity and 
sustainability and food miles and you know plastic particles in our food there are now nanotechnology companies that are moving into the food space where we can create um you know much more sustainable food food produce um, um one particular company in america called appeal um, is already now making a lot of things that basically um have very short life in terms of you know, avocados and things like that. They're gonna they're, they're giving them longer life. And we've also got other technologies that take it able to take single components out of food. So it could take plastic particles or it could take um, um, salt and sugar, but still leave the rest, you know, mm -hmm. just a tiny, tiny fragment. Um, and all of this um, will be enabled um, and is coming through not in the future, it's actually happening now. Right. Absolutely brilliant to hear of the future plans. Well, I wouldn't even say plans, but the, the, the future really, as you say, it is, it is here right now. And what intrigued me particularly was the mention of the energy delivery using nanotechnologies and the various sectors that this technology is transferable towards and how it will transform human life and our interaction and communities and economies around the world. So Paul, I am tagging you right here and now for a follow-up interview. I'm, I'm very much interested in the energy conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah. The food delivery conversation also. So I'm tagging you here and now kindly for a follow-up interview to talk about those particular sectors in terms of the use of nanotechnology. Sure. No problem. I'll be glad, glad, glad to help. Um, the reality of this is it's a top-down, bottom-up scenario. It's no good all the people at the top knowing about these things unless we... So the media has a major part to play in this. Uh, I don't know if you know the story of Darwin. Darwin mm. courted Fleet Street for many years before he went out with these theories because he, he, he worked out very early on that he had to have the media mm -hmm. to get people to buy into, you know, you know what, what, it, what, he was, what he was coming up or coming out with. So um, similarly, you know, what people don't understand they're frightened of. Whereas if we can articulate these things, people then see the opportunity and how we can put a lot of the things we got wrong in the previous industrial revolution right in this uh, age of technology. Paul Stannard, folks, a general partner at the Vector Innovation Fund. Uh, sharing with us absolutely brilliant information on technology investment and how it will or is transforming, actually, the global healthcare sector away from an illness service. Paul, thank you most kindly for taking the time and speaking with us here on The International today and sharing the information that you have done with us. Thank you. No problem. Have a good day. You too. Folks, that brings us to the end of the international for this week. I am your host, Jeevan Robinson, saying until we meet again next week, have yourself a wonderful day. The International Podcast, conversations that matter from around the world, from politics, entertainment, culture, the arts, lifestyle, and more. The International brings you various perspectives from key voices. Thank you.